Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we have a message from the second Sunday of Lent. This one is entitled Citizens of Heaven. We're looking at Paul's words to the church in Philippi, where he encourages them to follow after his example, the way he lives to live as citizens of heaven. We're going to be considering the, the people that are in our own journey, who we are looking to as examples in our lives and uh, inviting the Spirit to, to show us how to move forward. So let's go ahead and head to the talk. North Shore Vineyard Church in downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. Crispin. Even the pastor's back there all relaxed on the couch. <laughs> you can tell we run a tight, sh- tight ship around here. Yeah, I was just going to, you know, chill. I was getting comfortable back there and everything. Yeah, I've got a cordless mic. I mean, maybe that'd be better stewardship. Just relax and We relax anymore. We're gonna be in a coma. Um, I don't. Well, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> well, the the passage for this morning is Philippians three seventeen through four one, and this is. Uh, the second Sunday of Lent, this is Paul. This is a good little, an, another good passage from the lectionary uh, for the Lent season. A time in the church where uh, the church is traditionally, it's, it's about kind of uh, paying attention to God. Lent kind of digs into some of the, I guess, darker themes of Christianity. Uh, suffering, fasting. Um, so it's, it's a time of, before we head to Easter, where we kind of, remember Jesus and his, his, his suffering and his entering into our world. Uh, and so we just, it, it's a time of reflection, paying more attention to God. So the passage this morning, Philippians 3, 17 4 through 4, 1, says this. This is Paul writing to the Philippian church. He says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model... Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, 
My joy and my crown stand firm in the Lord this way, dear friends. Lord God, I just pray, uh, even as we look into this today, God, that you would uh, uh, just help me as a communicator, uh, help us to clearly understand what you're saying, and uh, just to discern your voice in this, Lord, in Jesus' name. You know, in the, in the, in the West, the West being uh, America, Europe, uh, in the last several hundred years, the dominant form of learning from grade school all the way up through the universities is uh, dealing with concepts intellectually. I went to college for so many years I could have a doctorate degree if all of my stuff had been in the same <laughs> subject. Uh, I, I loved college. Uh, I was there for a good portion of my 20s. And, but, but the type of learning that you get typically at college, uh, for the most part, is head knowledge. It's reading textbooks. It's learning how to regurgitate that information on a test uh, and that stuff just doesn't typically stick with you very long, right? When, when I was a kid, I know there are people, I'm very thankful for people who actually use algebra in real life, um, like engineers. Uh, I'm thankful there are people that do that and appreciate that. But I remember as a kid in high school going, when am I going to use this in the real world? And I have actually structured a life where I have never used algebra in my actual real world. That's the trajectory I was on. I'm thankful. I know that it has an application. But the, the reality is, as much as I hate math, the, the older I get, the more I appreciate math, particularly in music, because when I was a kid, I never thought, I think if somebody would have explained math to me in musical terms, I probably could have become a mathematician. Uh, but because everything was so intellectually oriented, these concepts were so abstract, so divorced from reality, they didn't actually impact my life. I could maybe regurgitate them on a test and, and hold on to them for long enough to you know, regurgitate them, but they, they didn't actually stick with me. I, I, my son, who is in seven, seventh grade right now, uh, he asked me for help with math now, and he, it's, it's beyond me. It's seventh grade. Like, I, like, I can't help you. <laughs> Thank God for Khan Academy. Um, <clears throat> but when we think about the way that human beings, up until the last several hundred years, the dominant way that human beings learned anything was through apprenticeship. If you wanted to become a butcher, a baker, candlestick maker, uh, you wanted to learn how to do any of those things. You didn't go to a university and learn the science behind that or learn theoretical concepts. You found somebody that was good at breaking br- bacon bread, and you would apprentice under them for years. And you would, you would spend your life with them, and you'd probably start out doing the grunt work that nobody wants to do, but then eventually you would get to, to bake the bread, get your hands dirty, and you would actually be able to start your own business that way with the knowledge that you learn from apprenticing. And why was that the dominant form of learning? Because that's the most natural form of learning for us as human beings. Victor Wooten, uh, does anybody know Victor Wooten? Woohoo! Yeah, he's... Uh, Phenomenal bass player, world-renowned bass player. He used to play with Bella Fleck and the Fleck Tones. Um, but he has this uh, music tutorial clinic thing that he does. And Victor Wooten says, you know, how did you learn to speak when you were a kid? By being around 
people who were experts at speaking English, right, if that's your first language. Uh, you, you didn't learn how to speak English by being around other babies, right? You, you learn how to speak English by being around experts comparatively to you, you know? How many of you, your first word when you were a kid was No. <laughs> Depending on how much trouble you were, kids learn how to speak because they've always got adults up in their faces smiling, saying something, right? And, and how do we learn? We mimic. We, we see these adults in our face, and, and eventually we, we say the, the words that they're saying to us. And sometimes their first words, no, uh, because they're always swatting our hands and saying no. Um, but Victor Wooten said, if you want to become a better musician... You don't hang around musicians of your same skill level or, or, or less than you uh, where you're at. You find better musicians than you to get around with. And just by hanging around them, you're going to pick up something that makes them great. Just by, just by the company that you keep. And this is what Paul is getting at here. He says, join together in following my example. Paul actually says this in several places. He says, follow me. And in 1 Corinthians um, 1.11, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, I have to say that there's a bit of me that cringes when I, I see that. <laughs> follow me as I follow Christ. It feels because I, I think at least for many of us who've grown up in kind of the Protestant traditions, the Protestant Tradition was a revolt against hierarchy and authoritarianism of the, the Catholic Church of the Middle Ages and a bunch of the abuses going on there. So the Protestant Reformation, Luther, he, he launched it with the, this idea of the priesthood of all believers. Everybody's a priest, man. We don't need paid clergy. We don't need these guys that are experts in this. Anybody can do this stuff. John Wimber, the, the guy who started the Vineyard Movement, he had this saying. He said, everybody gets to play. And I love that. Because there's this, this idea that church had become this, and, I, and I've been around churches like this where, hey, we're the experts. We'll talk to God for you. You need something, you come, come ask us, you know. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes people expect that of me, like, what's, what's God saying to me? I don't know what God's saying to you. I'm trying to figure out what God's saying to me. Uh, I am not a priest. I'm not an intermediary between you and God, and I don't want to be. John Wimber kind of came up, the, the guy who started the Vineyard Movement, he, he, he had this idea of everybody gets to play. We all can do ministry. In fact, people in the, the five-fold ministry, pastors and, and teachers, they, uh, their job is not to, to do the ministry, but to equip everybody to do the ministry. And I love that idea. And there's something, I mean, the Vineyard's probably the most libertarian kind of denomination. I mean, as far as, like, it's not hierarchical. Vineyard can't shut me down. The national office, they can't, I mean, uh, there may not be much comfort in that for you. Um, <laughs> but the Vineyard movement is just, it's pretty much a federation of churches who are, are joined by some common ideas. So when I read this statement of Paul, follow me as I follow Christ, I'm like, Really? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I could say that. But, but I, like, I like kind of the way Paul puts it because he's not just saying, follow me. He's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. I don't know if this is the way he means it, but this is the way I take it. And this is the way I could take it. I could understand it. And I could agree with it. In the ways that I follow Christ, <laughs> follow me. <laughs> There's some areas in my life I don't want you to follow me in those ways. <laughs> 
don't follow me in my organizational skills. Don't follow me in the way that I keep my car. <laughs> Amen, Dina? <laughs> There's a lot of things that, that I, I don't think it would be good. But, but the ways that I am, I'm, I'm following after Jesus that, that are actually going after God, then you can follow me in those ways. But I think that we could say that of everybody. Rene Girard, a, a, a French uh, sociologist who, who, uh, and philosopher who just passed away a couple of months ago, he coined this term. He said, humans, we, we think that we are individuals. We think we're just, especially in America, I mean, individualism, it's the name of the game. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps, make a way for yourself. It's all about me and mine. But, but Rene Girard made the, the observation that we are interdividuals. None of us exist alone. We are made up of the relationships that we have in our life. I, if you take away all the relationships in my life, there, there's, I, I'm, I'm, in, in many ways, I, I cease to, to have a lot of things that make me truly human. We, we are created. If you see a baby, I know they, they, I heard years ago that there was these babies in orphanages and in, in Russia and stuff that were never held or touched, and they were, they were really stunned for life because there are certain things within us that can't be unlocked apart from human contact and relationship. And the reality is we are shaped by the company that we keep. We think we're just shaped by abstract ideas, but if you look, if you look at the things that you feel and you believe uh, and the things that are impacting your life, it's your relationships or lack thereof. <laughs> and so Paul, I, I think what Paul is getting at here at the beginning of this thing is it's not that Paul is saying, I'm the expert, I got this whole Jesus thing figured out. I think Paul is just saying, look, I've been down this road further than you guys. Follow me into this way of living after Jesus. When Dina and I have gotten into um, marriage problems occasionally, our, our own marriage problems, not other mar- people's marriage problems, um, there have been times in our marriage where we have needed to get counseling. And counseling has been helpful on many occasions. But I think one of the most helpful things in our marriage is that not just when we get in, into problem areas, but having some people, some couples in our life that uh, are older than us and wiser because they've just been through more stuff and they're still married. <laughs> you know? Having those kind of relationships, when Dina and I get into a place, and, and we, you know, even just in starting this church six years ago, there's a lot of times where we're just feeling like, ah, we don't know how to do this. It's, it's tough. So we'll call up some pastor friends of ours and just go hang out with some couples that have been in this thing a lot longer in us than us. And it is tremendously helpful. And it's not helpful because they just give us a whole bunch of theological ideas. It's helpful because we can can practice some of the things that they're practicing by just being around them. This is the way that we learn. And I think going back to Victor Wooten, (laughs) if you want to get better at anything in life, whether it's music, uh, math, marriage, even your spiritual journey, surround yourself with some people that are further down the the road than you are. Find some people that, that... that not, not necessarily experts, but people that are just down the road further than you. Surround yourself with them. 
because they will actually help you uh, in your spiritual formation. So this is where Paul starts off. Join together and following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So Paul is saying, follow the people that are heading after Jesus. And then he goes, he said, For I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. There's a sense that Paul is saying that there are people that were in the Philippian church, people that he knew who have now become enemies of the cross of Christ. And he defines this by saying their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Paul is saying that there's some people and I don't, I don't know if this necessarily means that these people are outright like haters of Jesus and the cross, <laughs> uh, you know, or these are actually people in the Philippian church that have kind of fallen to the idolatry of their appetites. Either way, Paul says they've become enemies of the cross of Christ. They, they've, they've instead chosen the comfort of this world instead of putting their mind on, on, on the things of God. What does this tell me? Um, there's, there's something tied to the way that we hold our appetites. Appetites aren't bad, okay? This thing called hunger, it's a good thing. Uh, without hunger, you'd be dead, right? Hunger tells you you need to eat food. But I can tell you from experience, um, there's, it's, it's easy to let that hunger become an idol itself, and so instead of eating to live, you're living to eat. Which that's kind of our mantra down here in Louisiana. So I'm not going to talk much about that. Uh, it's so easy to let our appetites become an idol, whether uh, our sexual appetites, our, our physical appetites, are just longing for comfort and, 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 and material things that make us feel good. But, but Paul says, if you go down that road, if you make an idol of these things, these things in themselves aren't bad. But if you set your attention on these things, then you actually become an enemy of the cross of Christ. Because the cross of Christ actually speaks of sometimes you're going to suffer. Sometimes the, 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 the way of Jesus is going to be humility. It's going to be hidden. It's not going to be celebrated. It's going to be denying yourself for the sake of other people. And that is certainly the road that Paul's on. Paul, actually, I mention this every time we're in Philippians, but Paul is in prison when he's writing these letters. So he's not dispensing these words from a theological seminary where he's an a adjunct professor. He is actually in prison saying, follow my example. The same way that Jesus had suffered, Paul is suffering, but he's still filled with the life of God. But he said, there's some people among you that become enemies of God. And he goes on to say, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glory, glorious body. Philippi, the area where this church was in Roman history, the reason that Philippi got started was it was a Roman colony. Uh, after all these wars for the Roman Empire had settled down, now Rome had this huge army, all these generals, all these military guys, and they didn't want them living in the city of Rome because they were going to stir up stuff because all these guys knew was fighting. And so they said, 
you guys, we're going to put you over here in Philippi, which was a good deal away from, from Rome. And we're going to put you in this colony over here. You can have parcels of land, make your living. So Philippi was, in a sense, a Roman colony in a very Greek world. And Paul is speaking in their language to the Philippian church. Philipp, yeah, Philippian, Philippian church, not Philippian. Uh, he's speaking... In their language, they are living in a Greek-dominated world, but they're living as Roman citizens. And Paul is saying, in the same way, we are kind of like, as the church, we're a colony of heaven. A lot of people can read this in a very dualistic sense that it's just about uh, physical appetites are bad, heavenly stuff is good, just escape. You know, escapism through uh, spirituality. But, but that's not what Paul's getting at. Paul's saying that, that we're citizens of heaven. So we live in this reality in a very different way. We're not in this for our own appetites, our own uh, reputations, our own building up stuff and materials. We're, we're not here for that. We're here to live as Jesus. So we're not looking to escape this world. But we're living, looking to live a, a, a demonstrably different quality of life in this world. We are here as an outpost of the kingdom. And so Paul finally ends this, this thing by saying, uh, stand firm. Stand firm. We eagerly await our Savior there from heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. See, the, the, the ultimate thing where this is going is ultimately one day we will all be resurrected and we will have bodies just like Jesus did after he was resurrected. What did Jesus look like after he was resurrected? Was he just like Obi-Wan Kenobi after he gets killed? In Star Wars, remember, he was like a ghost kind of guy that appeared. Um, all of a sudden, a few people just heard me for the first time in here. <laughs> a few of the kids. Obi-Wan. <laughs> was Jesus just a ghost on the day that he was resurrected? No. He resurrected in a physical body. And, and Paul is saying that's our destination too. The same way that Jesus was resurrected, we will be resurrected. We're not just going to be disembodied spirits floating around on clouds playing harps. We are actually going to be... Uh, in bodies one day that won't break down, they won't decay, and we won't be enslaved to our appetites one day. But in this time, in this world, in this reality right now, as outpost in, in, uh, uh, of the kingdom of heaven here on earth, we got to keep our appetites in check. That's what I'm trying to do lately. I've been, I've been, I know it's, it's, a, it's the end of the world. I gave up eating meat about five weeks ago for the most part. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, the, the 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 barbecue master uh, gave up gave up meat, and and I'm not doing this for any anything other than I I, I want to feel better, <laughs> and I'd like my appetites to not rule my life, and I know I've got a problem with that. I know that I am prone to letting my appetites drive the bus rather than me controlling my appetites. So it, I, I know I want to keep those things in check. 
I know it has nothing to do with, I'm, I'm not trying to appease God or, or anything. It's, it's nothing weird like that. I'm just, I just want to live free and better and healthier and be able to engage this life. Um, I don't know how long I'm going to do this, so, um, so I don't want y'all to quote me on that. <laughs> um, but I, I am, for me, though, I realize when I look at this passage, I know the temptation, even in ministry, of how you can make an idol of your own appetites, your own stuff. I mean, I saw this clip recently of two of the most well-known prosperity gospel preachers in the country, and they were talking on a TV show about they take a lot of flack because they each have a couple of, of, of jets uh, to fly around the country, personal jets. And, uh, and one of them looked at the other. He said, well, psh, how do you expect me to pray if I'm on a regular plane with people? <laughs> how, how can I shout at the heavens and get in the aisle and talk to God if, if I'm just on a, a plane with people and regular, you know, regular, regular folks? How's God, how, how, can I, how can I wage war? I'm like, if, if being in a private jet is the only way we can connect with God, <laughs> then 99.9999% of us are in trouble, right? But I know the temptation, even in ministry, how, how we can make it about we, we can come up with, with rationalizations and justifications for all these things and all these appetites and all this stuff that we want to have. And we can even have people applaud us and give to that. That's the crazy thing that people keep giving to that. Creflo Dollar wanted to, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have mentioned names. <laughs> he wanted $60 million for a plane. And everybody made a big deal about it. Like, oh, $60 million for a plane? No way. But within two months, after getting flack from everybody, he had a plane. So people still gave to it. The deal is we can, we, can, we can let our appetites, our longing for stuff and materials and things in this world, we can get, get into that and make an idol of that, and we can say that, that this, we can even get people to get on board with that, with us, and give into that. But I know I've got to keep those things in check. I've got to th- keep those things in check in my own life because at the end of the day, I, I, I sincerely want to, look more like Jesus. I, I sincerely do. And I know how if my appetites, whether it's for stuff or sex or food or whatever, if that stuff doesn't get checked in, if, if I don't keep it in check, it will become an idol. And what Paul says here, if you go down that road, it's going to destroy you. And that's the thing. I've seen many a people in ministry destroyed by that stuff. It's not just... <laughs> good or bad thing, it, it, it's, it destroys your life. Because that's what idolatry always does. So Paul says, stand firm. Stand firm. As a citizen of heaven, don't be so well adjusted that you fit into this world without even thinking. Keep your attention on Christ and his way, specifically by surrounding yourself with people who are taking their spiritual journey seriously and may be a bit further down the road than you. So I just want to close today with a couple of reflection questions Time's up. Okay, never mind. We were going to reflect, but no. Um, <laughs> I want to close with a little bit of reflection. And, and I just encourage you, if you're not in one of our home groups, we're, we're actually digging into this material uh, as, a, as groups this week. So 
um, we'll, we'll be kind of reflecting on this a bit um, on Tuesday. But I just want to, to ask this questions, these questions. In light of the passage today, and I think I, I just I put it wrong in your outline, so here's what I meant to say. I shouldn't write questions before I have coffee in the morning. Ask yourself this question. Who is influencing my life relationally right now? Who's, who's the person or people that you can say have the biggest influence in your life right now? That's question number one. Question number two. Are the people that I surround myself with helping me become more or less like Jesus? And I'm not saying, I'm not saying like more or less like Jesus. <laughs> yeah, more or less like Jesus. <laughs> Are the people that I'm surrounding myself with helping me become more like Jesus or less like Jesus? And as you think of those two questions, then the question to, to ask yourself is, do I need, is, is, is the Holy Spirit inviting me to maybe seek out some other relationships that are more positive in my life with people that, that may be a little bit further down on this faith, down the road on this faith journey than I? You know, probably a year into my time at the Kinner Vineyard, uh, I'd been a Christian for 11 years, 12 years, and I'd gotten to this place where I was miserable and I was really struggling with a lot of things that I thought I had dealt with in years before. And I ended up at a worship retreat in Estes Park, Colorado. And in a small group with some other guys, I, I, for the first time in my life, I confessed some things I'd never shared with anybody else. And I, I thought that they were going to stone me or blacklist me or whatever. They didn't. <laughs> and I experienced such love and compassion and, 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 and the Holy Spirit touched my life in a powerful way. The end of that week, my small group leader said, so, you're heading back to Kenner. Um, do you have anybody, any relationships in your life with that you can continue these things with when you get back? And all of a sudden, I realized, even though I'd been on staff at a very large church for a year, I had no friends. I had lots of acquaintances. I had lots of people that, I mean, friends, like Facebook friends. Um, <laughs> But I had nobody that I could be open and honest with. And I told this guy, I was like, yeah, I actually, I don't. And all of a sudden, the light bulb went off for the first time in my life that, wow, maybe this is part of the issue. <laughs> maybe part of my issue is that I've learned how to live so disconnected from other people, so isolated, so cut off. So I went back, and, and I didn't know what to do, so I just started praying, Lord, would you give me a relationship? Just give me some person that I can be honest with and open with and that I can do life with. He answered that prayer six months later. And so me and this, this friend of mine, we started getting together and, 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 you know, it was very helpful. And then my friend got into med school like three weeks later in Florida. And I'm like, and I kept praying. And then in another couple of months, God brought another person in my life and, and, that relationship began to transform my life because I wasn't doing this thing alone anymore. I just ask you, and, and that's why I say our small groups celebrate recovery. We've got 
all kinds of things around here that if you're trying to, to make it down the road, you say, man, I've just got some things that I, I, I want to be a better person. I, I want to look more like Jesus. I want to experience life more fully. Just see if the Holy Spirit may be inviting you into one of these things. And just realize, maybe your prayer doesn't get answered tomorrow or next month or three months, six months down the road. But God will answer it. Why don't you stand? Lord God, we, we thank you for the words from this, this passage today. And Holy Spirit, we just pray that, that we would be attentive to what you're saying and what you're doing, God. If there are appetites in our life that are driving the bus, God, that you would just give us a way forward where that wouldn't be the case, Lord. God, if, if we are surrounding ourselves with people that are actually dragging us down, Lord, that, God, that we would be open to maybe where you may be inviting us into people that are a little bit further down the road than us, that, that can help us become more like you, Jesus. We just ask you to lead the way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.